0: Thanks everybody for coming um, to sit and be here on a Friday night. And I think many of you will be coming also for the weekend, which I'm so excited and grateful for. um, And just so appreciative of this um, opportunity for um, my beloved Brooklyn Zen Center Sangha to know my beloved Sally, (laughs) I'm claiming you. and vice versa. Um, and I know there are folks here uh, from Sally's community and, and, and I'm hoping that this is um, just another opportunity to um, be in connection and to, to weave bonds together um, which is a, just a, a wonderful um, dream. I think we both have and um such an opportunity for um for uh, all of us to um to really feel and learn um from sally which um who i've been learning from for many years so um, i'm very grateful i'm very grateful for all the forces that have come together to allow us to do that i'm so grateful sally for you to want to um to, to just generously do what you can to support Brooklyn Zen Center. It was just um, so moving to to receive that, re- that idea and to um, do what needed to do to make it happen. And it's, it's happening because of all of you. So thank you so much. And it's just been very encouraging uh, for us. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, it's such an honor to be here, to be invited. And it's exciting to begin you know, this, uh, this relationship in this way, uh, beyond uh, an individual friendship and spiritual camaraderie that you and I have, and to also just bring it out and, and bring our wisdom traditions together, because there's so much that we have in common. Um, and there, there are some similar roots, I would say. So thank you for the opportunity. And thank you all for making it possible.
0: Yeah, I said to Sally, we're going to have so much fun this weekend. <laughs> I really do <laughs> yeah. see it as fun. It's really fun and joyful.
1: I do. Um, I do.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you're like, it's not just about fun, but. <laughs> the, <laughs> well, it's, the,
1: it's my favorite kind of work. It's chosen work. It's
0: chosen.
1: Yeah. 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 So
0: maybe what we can do is just frame. So what we're going to do is just Sally and I will talk for a little while. And we welcome you to, um, to, if you have any questions or any thoughts that come up while we're talking to just throw those into the chat and then we can open it up into a discussion. Um, and you know, it's a, it's a fairly intimate group. So I, hopefully it'll be easy for people to kind of jump in and be part of the discussion. And um, I also see it as a sort of um, an entryway into the, into the forums for tomorrow. Um, and the practices, so, um, so that when we come tomorrow, we kind of feel like we have some, some underst- a little bit more understanding about um, what's behind what we're doing. At least that's my, my, my wish for tonight, one of my wishes for tonight.
1: Yeah. And maybe I'll just uh, give you a little framing. Um, I know some of you, but not all of you. So um, I'll just l- give you a little bit of framing of um, what my training and lineage comes from. You know? Um, so actually I am from the East Coast so I grew up in the East Coast in the DC Baltimore area so I'm familiar and it's like wonderful to be back in autumn on the East Coast because where I live in California the seasons are not as distinct um, and it's really wonderful to be in the environment here um, and so I first uh, began my studies in martial arts. I always say I was a martial artist first, primarily through being a young child watching Kung Fu cinema. (laughs) And that was my first entry, uh, not just into martial arts, but also just into, um, seeing people who look like me reflected in larger media because that, that didn't happen very much at all when I was growing up, um, in a primarily, um, white bodied, white-centric uh, society, suburbs of, uh, of Washington, DC. And um, so that was the place I went to find um, uh, powerful, honorable, um, intelligent people who were kind of upholding principles and standards that I believed in, values. And um, so that was like my, my young self. And then um, I trained uh, a bunch when I was in college and then I uh, came out to the West Coast to California to study acupuncture. And so then that brought me, and I've of course, obviously I've stayed there ever since in my, since my 20s. but um, So I, then I just delved into acupuncture medicine, traditional Chinese medicine, which has many of the same paradigms as um, Taoism. It comes, there's, there's definitely an intersection of Taoism. And medicine, because both of those traditions have been around for thousands of years, and so is martial arts. And so, those are like my three, um, my three loves, my three paths that have kind of found um, themselves into me, and that ha- I have found myself in them, and a return to my heritage after, you know, being a second-generation Taiwanese immigrant. And so. Um, my martial tradition intersected with my Taoist uh, my tradition when I met my teacher Chen Yin Shang. He is a uh, 25th generation Wudong Longmen priest. Uh, that's the Dragon Gate lineage from Wudang Mountain, which is the origin of the internal martial arts, such as Qigong, Neigong, internal alchemy and Taiji. And um, my Taoist teacher in medicine, Jeffrey Yuan, he is actually local to here. Uh, he's in Flushing. And um, he came here when he was a young child as well as part of the diaspora. And um, he's an 88th generation Taoist priest in a different lineage, the Yuching Huan Nal uh, jade purity tradition. And so my Taoist teacher in medicine, my Taoist teacher in internal cultivation, they really brought me um, into a more spiritual study um, along with the martial and the medical arts. So that's kind of my... My background, it's been the 30 years of uh, wonderful, intense, in-depth, in uh, humorous, all sorts of, you know, all the things, the full human experience of, uh, of those decades of practice. Um, yeah, so I think that's, uh, that's pretty good, that's a pretty good outline of where these traditions come from, from me personally, you know, as an individual. And then um, the Eight Silk Brocades uh, in particular. So uh, just to go directly to the topic at hand, which is going to be the practice, the embodied practice that we're going to be taking part in this weekend together. The Eight Silk Brocades is uh, the Ba Duan Jin. It's one of the oldest um, surviving Qigong practices. We think it's from the Song dynasty, um, but we're not sure because it seems to have been around for a long time before it was ever written down. Um, But it's it's been around because it stays relevant and you'll find that this form even though it's it's well known you can go down the YouTube um, University highway and find many examples of people doing the Paduan Jin and most major uh, martial arts styles will have the Paduan Jin in their course curriculum at some point and it can be practiced in a very external like hard uh, way to build strength and stability and you can be holding these postures, and they'll, you know, break bamboo poles over your legs and things like that. So that's what we would call hard style. You can do more internal cultivation. More my style um, is going to be more internal cultivation. The movement of chi, the understanding of the chi pathways in the body, uh, utilizing the acupuncture meridians, the organ channel systems, are just more activated, um, and there's more consciousness in the healing capacity. Um, as, as well as the physical strength building um, aspect of it, that that's just more interwoven uh, through the teachers and traditions that I've learned this form from. So I love this form because of the kind of depth that you can go to. You can access it in very many points, um, health, strength, physicality, uh, philosophy, and, um, and spiritual awakening. Um, or internal cultivation, using it as a part of your transformative, your spiritual transformative practice. So that's, um, that's the framing for the weekend there. So um, I hope that is enticing enough for you to join me. Um, and as an embodied practice, you know, um, you know, we say, there's something that we say in Chinese medicine where like uh, the heart is like the monarch of the body and the spirit that resides in the heart is called the shun. It's kind of like the monarch of this mortal life, this particular life. Um, and um, because the heart is actually a very simple organ, it's a big muscle with chambers that are filled and emptied. So the nature of the heart is benevolence. Whatever comes into the heart, it needs very little for its, its own self-sustenance. And the rest of it gets pumped out to the rest of the kingdom, queendom, monarchydom. So it goes out to the, every part of the body. And then the shen that lives in the heart, it gets infused into the blood. And so the blood goes everywhere in the body. And so the spirit rides on the fluid of the blood along with, through all these passageways. And so the cultivation of our Shen, our spirit is, is a heart practice of this mortal life and also of our cosmic uh, soul. So our, we have the spirit of this mortal life, but we also have our timeless, materialless, um, endless journey of um, our soul, our cosmic journey. And that connection happens through the um, medium, mediumship of our body, and it is uh, mitigated and mandated. The soul's journey is the mandate of the uh, monarch of this mortal life. So as we're pumping the blood, the, you know, the physicality, the embodiment of this spirit, this shen, that becomes part of our cultivation practice. So the activity of that um, is a spiritual Um, awakening or a way of um, so-called purifying, but really it's just working, you know. It's like, uh, it's kind of like a way of becoming more yourself, you know. So not purifying in the way of, um, you know, I'm going to detox, going to drink this herbal elixir and then detox myself and then purge what I don't like about myself. It's not really about that. It's more just about becoming more yourself, letting go of the clutter, letting go of the the past that isn't helpful anymore, remembering what is helpful, and becoming more and more aligned to your purpose, to your spiritual purpose. So, um, Yeah, I'm not sure where we got off on that, but...
0: I love it. I love where you where, where you went. And um, it already started a series of questions um, for for me. Um, and that image of the of the monarch and the heart being the, the source. Oh. Really powerful. So one of the things that um, and again as you speak, I'm I always translate it into uh, uh, the the uh, spiritual practices that, that I have grew up in and um, work in. And so when I hear this, I hear compassion and the role of compassion and transformation mm-hmm. um, and the shin, the heart mind, which is the, the, where, where the center is not, not up here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the things that have is a really a curiosity for me. It's, it's, it's an interest and it's a, it's something that I, I just keep wanting to uncover, which is, it isn't paradoxical, but it can seem that way. So you mentioned in the beginning of, and you talk a lot about strength, about the cultivation of strength and the, you know, and physical strength, spiritual strength. And then, and you're also talking about this as the center, the heart as the center, the, the purifying agent Mm. And I think many of us, when we think about heart, we think about soft, we think about, you know, we think it can be seen almost as an opposition to strength, mm. you know, and I often love
1: um, love can be thought of in this way, too. Yes. It's, <laughs> it's something that's always soft and mushy. Yeah.
0: And, mushy. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and receptive. Right. In some way that can then maybe almost seen as, as passive. And you know we have this um, we have this statue of Manjushri on our on our altar, and that is a, a pretty fierce figure, with a sword ready to cut through bullshit. You could say <laughs> delusion. Yeah. And um, and so you know as we also in our community cultivate um, an ability to cut through and see clearly all of the kinds of um, harmful, violent. Um, internalized and external manifestations of violence. And it's often a question, you know, what does it look like? What does strength and compassion look like together? How in a physical way? Because one of the things we were talking about, but I said, let's talk about, you know, the physicality of spirituality, you know, and um, so what, I wonder if you can, you can talk about it from your paradigm, you know, what is What's the role of compassion and strength together? How
1: does that, how how
0: does that... Yeah. In Daoism and in the martial
1: art of Chiang? Yeah, you just uh, covered a lot of territory there and um, really rich territory. Uh, One thing I want to distinguish are the Chinese words. So the word for the heart, xin, X-I-N, is the word that describes the heart. And the word that I was describing of the spirit that resides inside the heart is called the shen, S-H-E-N. So it's two different words. So I just wanted to um, make sure that was, that was clear. Um, and they're often, you'll find characters that are, are, are put together um, uh, with the heart radical in many, in many, many characters. Um, in terms of the uh, martial aspect, um, you know, there's lots of martial arts that don't have any sort of spiritual um, cultivation or interest, and there's many uh, Taoist practices that have nothing to do with martial arts. So the being a martial artist first, myself, I was always, I, I'm going to be attracted to the teacher who has, and the lineage, so our particular lineage from Wudang Mountain, um, is, has the martial arts and the Taoism and the internal cultivation. That's kind of like our focus, right? And, me, and many other sects will focus more on the, um, religious rituals or the, um, other, other aspects they ha- well, the other aspects like health or community service or, um, funerary rites, marriage rites, things like that. So there's lots of ways that you can, um, become specific with your study, almost like having a major at a university. Um, So for me, my major would be martial arts and Taoism. Medicine. Um, In terms of um, how we reconcile physicality, uh, physicality, we are physical beings. We're in these bodies that need care. um, And they also need um, um, attention the same kind of attention that the mind and spirit does. So um, I think in our culture we have a we have a tendency to let the mind rule and then treat the body as a kind of servant to the mind. But when we allow that re- the respect level to be on a level ground, mind, body, and spirit are in alignment, then we understand that we come from an evolution that is physical millions of years in the making. And there is a wisdom that has been refined through making us the humans of this time that we are today. And that somatic wisdom is like such a wonderful thing to discover. And I think that these spiritual practices help us discover what that is. And so, um, in, in tai chi and martial arts, in, in tai chi, we, we're not, um, we don't cultivate aggression, you know? It's not mixed martial arts, ring fighting or competition fighting, things like that, where you might be cultivating aggression or conquering or winning in some way. That's battlefield martial arts, what we would call in the old days battlefield martial arts. When we bring the cultivation practice into it, we bring that ferocity, towards coming into more and more alignment with our values. And so sometimes I I say, you know, like in Qigong, you can practice a lot of Qigong just for health and individual um, uh, spiritual enlightenment. Um, But in Tai Chi, because it's also a, a martial art as well, that's when you start to deal with relationship. Martial arts is all about relationship. It's all about conflict in relationships and how you deal with that. And you know any relationships, if you've got siblings, you, know, you probably know a little bit about conflict in relationships. You know If you've got some folks in your life, you know, you've encountered you know, um, difficulties, you've had disagreements and arguments and have found a way back to each other. This is also uh, just part of life and actually how we learn. It's a very rich part of how we learn is through challenge. And so bringing it into the physical realm, you know, sometimes uh, you can be a very peace-loving, peacemaking person. That's your purpose in in life is to bring more peace to the world. Um, But sometimes conflict comes to you anyways. So when conflict comes to you anyways, what do you do about it? Do you have a kind of tone, strength, and structure in your body that can withstand and tolerate conflict and challenges that come your way. So these things, um, and also sometimes we don't have the mental or spiritual fortitude when we're challenged in those realms. So when we have a somatic fortitude, when we have a physical strength that lets us know where we are balanced inside of our bodies, Even if we can't make the most brilliant argument because so-and-so is so much smarter than you or louder than you or whatever it is, if you can stay in your physical center and keep your breath even, you're already still you, even though you're like in this storm of conflict, you're still you, you still have access to you. So I think it's very powerful, it's very empowering. And that if that is the primary uh, way that you're practicing is your ability to return to your center physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you find your way back more and more easily, more and more regularly, then you yourself become a more peacemaking person in the world because you're not, first of all, you're not reliant as reliant on others to provide that structure for you all the time. And as well, you're not reliant on, you know, the being the pusher, you know, the aggressor in order to form the shape of you.
0: So many things come up as you talk about this and the connections I'm making um, are related to um, some of the work as a therapist and as what we've done in community around um, somatic blocks. That are Demetic,
1: sorry. What was that? that
0: blocks, or, oh, yeah. or you could say, protective or defensive strategies um, that are, are become procedural because of um, uh, because of an experience that we could not integrate into our our bodies.
1: Mm, like so for example, are, what would that be like? For example,
0: example? Um, um, uh, somebody um, uh, shaming us, mm. dismissing us um being violent towards us physically emotionally or otherwise um so and not having the tools whether it's even like remembering to breathe or being able to say no Uh or hanging on to some sense of self you know that that what happens is the body then um creates a um a survival strategy, which might be a collapse, right? Or it might be, you know, this is a classic fight, flight freeze. Uh-huh. And so those just become part of how somebody walks through the world, you know, even though the the danger is no longer necessarily right there, there's uh-huh. a threat of it. And we were just talking a few minutes ago about, you know, um, disassociation, and that like, kind of leaving your body uh, in the face of a kind of frightening uh, a social experience, you know, which... Which this is always for me. <laughs> I'm, always, <laughs> I'm always watching the
1: activation,
0: the activation in my body, and so what's interesting to me, and I get curious about, um, you know, Zen is also a physical practice. You know, it looks like nothing is happening; we're just sitting there, and yet all of the, you know, the whole, our lives are being born. You know, beings are arising, past, present, and future, and we're we're feeling them. And so much of the, to me, the zazen is, is just what you're talking about, is cultivating the capacity to both recognize the ways in which our bodies are now rigidly or to, to, you know, defensively resisting or tightening around pain, you know, physical, um, but primarily, I think emotional pain, ancestral pain.
2: Uh,
0: And so, you know, people wonder what's, how is this transformative to just sit here, you know, but in a way, there's a physical process happening of unwinding um, and being able to be with it in a different way.
3: But, you know, it has its
0: limitations, you know, and I I really love the idea of, um, you know, and and I'm curious about um, how by actually embodying a different position, by embodying the kinds of Positions in the qigong movements, you're actually c- kind of uh, creating a different um, a flexibility and perhaps an unwinding. Uh, 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 if there's if we're so afraid of of, um, of coming forward in some strong way, you know it, that that starts to happen through those movements. That we find a way to see what that feels like, and then we can start to develop different habits. And yes. You know, mm-hmm.
1: Yes, I mean, I, I feel that one of the most uh, empowering things about uh, having embodied practice like uh, internal martial arts and, and martial arts is, um, is how we are training our default patterns differently. And maybe you feel the same way through your Zen practice is that early, you know, when we are less empowered in our lives, maybe we're children and things occur that we don't have any control over, so we are adapting as best we can to conditions which are sometimes overwhelming. When we grow into adults, we mature uh, enough that we can actually learn a different, a different pattern. You know, that, that old pattern, it's served, so we have to respect it, but in our current life, maybe it is, um, it is getting in the way of something. And so um, to not throw it away, because that survival mechanism was very useful, but to learn and strengthen a different pattern in life, to find ourselves balanced in a dynamic way, because balance is dynamic, is not static. To find ourselves balanced in a, in a, in a moment-to-moment way, um, and I feel that the Tapping into the physicality of balance is, is very uh, powerful because we can access that oftentimes more readily than we can to emotional balance or to um, a mental balance, depending on who how we are conditioned, mm-hmm. right? And what conditions we are interacting with out in the world, you know? Yeah, so, you know... Um...
0: What I love about I was, while you were talking, I was trying to find the names of the of the of the different um, forms that we're doing. I, the name of each of the movements because um, mm-hmm. they're quite powerful. Uh, I don't know if you can read a couple of them for us. You know the the qigong forms of this.
1: Um, oh, you, like from the set list or something. Yeah, like?
0: the set list, right? So mm-hmm. there's. And um, so there's these different energies from, in each of these forms. And one of the things that has been so um, useful for me is the movement between a kind of form that is a, you know, I could say is like a, a certain kind of forceful form, you know, like pushing or yielding uh-huh. the sword. And then there's, a, there's forms that are just like water, right? Like mm-hmm. just this um, parting the seas and- you know, sort of But the,
1: fun, the interesting thing is like the same form, the same uh, you know, sort of set of choreography can have a very rigid expression and it can also have a very soft expression. Mm-hmm. So just like when you're sitting zazen, some days your experience is like a, a, a storm and some days it's very peaceful. And there's a million things in between right so it's the same thing i like to compare it to like playing a piece of music like the notes on the page are the same it's called the same piece of music it was created by the same person but the musician actually making music like how they feel in that moment what is alive for them in that moment comes through in the music and so that spontaneous arising and i think that zen has a lot of um, this discussion of spontaneity, and um, and so does Taoism. So does Taoism, and that the that you know the what we would call like a true realized being is one who is able to be spontaneously their authentic self at yes. all times.
0: Yeah, we were just talking about this today about. In- dead rituals versus very alive rituals you know Mm -hmm. and that people can walk through a ritual or ceremony or a set of forms in a way in which you you feel as if they are a little bit farther away from it or they're hiding behind it or they're you know they're trying to embody it in some way that that is kind of alienating to themselves and to others and um And then one can feel when there's that aliveness in the form that the form we were talking about, kind of the ritual can take you to the edge of what you know and ask you to jump off that cliff and and let go of all of those things that we hang on to, um, to uh, keep us from uh, letting go of all of those protective mechanisms, you know, and, you know, in our community, as I was mentioning, we have these seeking Mind talks happening. And I was sharing with you how this forum, this ritual of going through that process and there's nothing to hang on to, you know, and and you're trying to like create a talk where you're not going to feel shame and embarrassment and all the kind of possibilities of uh, pain, social pain
1: mm-hmm.
0: and uh, judgment. judgment and yet to, you um, to prepare and control for that takes you farther away from the kind of uh, request, yeah, ultimate request. You yeah, know, yeah. To yeah. go so, into the form and be held by it. Yeah. allow it to move you, right? Like the mm-hmm. trials, yeah.
1: yeah, so on the one hand, it's like an exercise to do, right? Yeah. It's to um, talk about the, the way that you are entering into Buddhism, the Buddhist path, right? Is that correct?
2: Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And then, so there's the form of that, but then like, how are you like, you're, you're going through your process of writing that down and, and telling your narrative about it. And then, and then it's just like how much of this, the speaking of this narrative, this story, which you lived, how much of it is performed and, and then how much of, how much of that story do you, do you embody and show the rawness and vulnerability of how you entered into Zen? and why you know and the kind of like do you trust there's so much trust in the people that you're telling this story to that they will hold you um that the uh um that the community will hold you in love and compassion um and that you can trust yourself i think is the main is one of the main things that you maybe could feel afterwards (laughs) maybe not, you know, during or right before, but afterwards, you know, just like feeling like, Oh yeah, I meant that. I, that was like an authentic expression of myself. I was really myself when I, when I was able to tell that story.
0: And that it's reciprocal, that there's something about the conditions of the community and the energy it's, it's a, it's allowing oneself to receive people's attention and presence and letting go, you know, just um, letting others in. <laughs> yeah,
1: Letting others in. And especially if you you came from a place in your history where there was a lot of shame, where there was shame for being yourself. You were not allowed to be your full self. You were, they were not given permission or um, there was no understanding of your capacity or your potential or even your basic needs then all of those things can come into play. Like when, when you're like, um, being asked to you know, be the center of attention in this way and actually tell your story when maybe previously um, there was some repercussions to telling your story um, in full honesty. So that level of trust is, is very precious and needs to be protected. But also the courage to be able to tell that story and be fully yourself um, allows others, right, it allows others to be able to expose, to be vulnerable, to be truly themselves without all of the, the masks and costumes and performance that we do that is so expected in our culture and actually is very rewarded in our culture. If you're performing in a certain way, you know, coming from an Asian background, if you perform and in, in certain ways, uh, for example, in school or um, whatever uh, expectations uh, uh, that might be, um, then would you would be, ce- you'd be celebrated, you know, you'd be rewarded for a certain kind of behavior. But even though it may have nothing to do with like who you really are or what you're really interested in, or even what you believe in,
0: I'm just curious, as, as you're talking, I keep thinking, you know, you you cultivate community as well, and one of the, you know, having been able to do this in person with you, with a group of people, I think Melissa and Flo, two folks that from Tassahara, you know, I, you know, that performance anxiety can also happen, I imagine, um, as you do a class together, you know, and the people's um, comfort with their bodies with being seen moving their bodies in particular ways, mm. pairing, you know, how fluid someone's movements are as compared to yours. And so, um, you know, I, I just curious about about that piece and the, the role of community in, um, mm. cultivating this kind of physicality of spiritual practice. And uh, were you
1: speaking from like the, the student's point of view or,
0: yeah, or, or you as a teacher, you know, what, what's, uh, you know what is the uh what do you notice that what's the yeah the kind of spiritual transformational piece of of doing this in community
1: well i mean i anyone who's been a teacher i, I think um you know the great secret is that it's a uh, it's part of our own cultivation is is teaching um i don't know if there are any teachers on this call but uh uh, certainly you probably have some of this uh, in common with me, is that it, teaching at some point is, uh, is part of your spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. In the martial arts community, you're expected to take some sort of leadership role, becoming a senior student. Maybe you, maybe you never get to an instructor role, but even as a senior student or even a good practice partner mm-hmm. who's been around and can guide uh, somebody who's just walked in the door, into the practice and, and keep them safe, right? Because we're talking mar- martial arts. So you, you, you're you watching them, you're attending to them, you're keeping them safe. And um, it's through your own embodied experience that you're able to even see what needs caring for. So like stepping into leadership is is expected, it's part of the kind of hierarchy that's expected in, in most martial arts schools and As a teacher, I I mean, I just have to say, I I really love and enjoy teaching. It gives me a lot of energy because you get to see people uh, be fully embodied and the energy grows and then there's a communal energy that is built uh, together, which is really wonderful, which is why, you know, this is my only my second in-person workshop that i've taught and you know since the the time since the pandemic times everything else has been on zoom so it's like still it's like a whole new thing it's like it's thrilling so we get to practice in person together how wonderful and then when we get into the interactive portion you know when we do a little bit of partner work which we're going to do partner work uh, this weekend then all sorts of character <laughs> comes out because you know you can just walk into a room if you're sitting in a room and somebody walks in, you can already feel their energy, right? So before any words are said, you're perceiving something, some, some energy, still. You're perceiving some sort of character, right? And the more you are sensitized to this, the more you are able to um, perceive, right? And then so many things, many energies and informations are communicated before you say a word. And then, so when we begin to contact each other in like a gentle partner, partner work, then there's a whole conversation that is starts to become uh, open, open for dialogue. At that point, you know that is primarily nonverbal. It doesn't have to be completely nonverbal, but it's primarily non nonverbal. But our mind, our mind verbal uh, mm. connection is usually so strengthened. That sometimes our mind-body connection of how we are communicating our energy and our bodies to each other are maybe not as attended to.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah, can I say something about that? It's really Please. so helpful to hear because one of the things that we've been focusing on in this um, this. Program I've been telling about the Buddhist path of liberation for white practitioners Mm -hmm. is this recognition: is it's not only what we say, but it's the energy in which we bring to an interaction. And so, energy can also be very welcoming, uh, or kind of um, you can you can feel it almost as a as a kind of a violence, you can say. And then the almost the energetic requests that are implicit in those exchanges. And so we're, you know, and especially as trauma happens and mm-hmm. you know, there's this, uh, for most people I would say, conflict is not a kind of fluid, easy, you know, um, uh, uh, um, non-problematic expression, right? This is like where most of us have a lot of trouble. So, um, you know, I just think it's, 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 uh, I love the, um, what I love about listening to the very little I know about Taoism is this sense of um, just uh, recognizing the power of energies, you know, and, and the connect. And and again, I said this before, like the connection between um, uh, symbols of nature and what those energies represent, which Mm -hmm. to me feels like a kind of a way to almost depathologize it or make it you know, like there's something natural, right? There's the expression of fire, the expression of water, the expression of earth, they all have their value Mm -hmm. and they're all skillful means, you know, and and what's the skillful means, you know? we don't begrudge a lion for roaring, you know, and then that's something, but somehow, you know, because of our experiences of, of harm and violence, yeah. um, we, we can't engage those energies uh, as, as, a, as a tool for transformation. So,
1: yeah, I mean, we can, um, I feel like uh, these embodied arts are, are a path of um, peacemaking because we are responsible for these bodies we're responsible for the energies that our bodies produce. And we don't necessarily have a lot of consciousness about the impact of our bodies, the space they take up and the energy that they produce. And so um, in, a, in a society like, like ours and the American society, we, we, we have our uh, biases, right? Say, If you were to, to bring it to a yin yang, a yin yang kind of um, uh, comparison, right? We're a very young oriented society. We're very, we're very, uh, you know, extroversion, loudness, bigness, tallness—all these things are rewarded in our society. They're privileged, right? And um, the the opposites are disadvantaged, right? But they're not true—they're um, not true true values. They're just contrasting energies. Right. One is not actually like it's not a moral, like actually better or worse than each other. Right. It's just a bias. So, you know, for the discussion of chi or energy, you know, sometimes when people are new to Qigong or acupuncture, for example, or something else uh, in this realm, you know, chi seems like this kind of mystical, mysterious, thing that you have to get somewhere or that somebody's going to give to you, like your acupuncture is going to give it to you with a needle. Somehow, you know, chi will be produced, but actually we, we are swimming in chi all the time because chi is just the energy of vital. It's just the vital energy of all living beings. So there's chi in the house plant, there's chi in the water, there's chi in the wood that is keeping this building upright. So, All living things have chi, we're swimming in it all the time, but because we we we're kind of like a deficit focused nation, and so we are always thinking that we need more of something and we need to hoard it or bank it, you know, we just need more of it and we have to supercharge it and then we have to make an elixir out of it and then we have to sell it and make a lot of money and we have to produce more of it and drink more of it. So it's just like, we, we have this kind of like externalized thing of like, we need this like critical substance, this, uh, this new fruit or mushroom from the Amazon. And, um, we need to, um, mine that and ingest it because we feel so def- deficient inside. If you felt fulfilled, if you felt whole, if your practice was a practice of being your whole self, and you were able to fulfill that on a daily basis, then maybe you wouldn't need to mine all of these other resources. Maybe that sort of heat of that um, appetite would be turned down a little bit.
0: Yeah, and you know, um, the, the, the image that comes up for me is receptivity, that um we're so desperate to grab something or think that we're deficient that we're not even in contact with the kind of natural reciprocal energies that are being offered to us.
2: Um, yeah.
0: that yeah. all that there is an offering in each moment energetically mm-hmm. for us to kind of receive, feel the impact of and 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 respond, you know, yeah. either with in kind or you know, with a playful <laughs> contrast and that, that, that there's a, a, a harmony, um, but we can't be in harmony and we can't be, we can't um, see that there's a fullness of energy as you're talking about if we're if we've got this kind of, well, we call it a sense of separation, you know, mm-hmm. and this, and, and an object, that's either something we want to grab onto or something we have to resist
1: Yeah, it
4: yeah. Kind of
0: blocks that flow. Right. And that's why, you know, and I know we have to, I would like to, to have everybody join in, but that push hands exercise on Sunday mm-hmm. is so powerful about the, about the give and take about the relational yeah. quality that's always happening and how to make that conscious and feel the impact in your body. And, have a, and feel free enough to be able to receive and then and then offer something, you know? Yeah, and, that, and reciproc- impacts, that
1: reciprocity, think. you know, in an active way, it, it's not like a, it's not um, just spending and, and then not having anything left, right? It's like the, the, it's this cycle, you know, the yin-yang symbol is a symbol that is one that is in motion. You know, that symbol is just a snapshot, but really the activity of it is the activity of, of life. It's in motion, yin and yang are always, it's like alternating current. So one feeds into the other, one creates the other, one nurtures the other, one receives the other, one goes towards the other. So it's just like this reciprocity creates like this, uh, a mutual energy, right? That is more than the separate energies. So energy is separated or disassociated, going back to the disassociation, that disassociation actually uses a lot of energy to compartmentalize, to quarantine those energies away from each other, it takes a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. But if we are feeling our natural selves, or filling up our whole body as our natural selves, actually we feel in communion with nature because we're all made up of the same stuff, so there's just less to argue about. Mm-hmm. There's just no argument when you understand that we're made up of the same stuff. We're responsible for each other. We're responsible to each other, mm-hmm. you know? right?
0: And and it takes a while for the body to get reconditioned to trust yeah. on a deep level. It's like uh, you know how it's and it's repetition, right? It's practicing. It's showing up. It's going over and, and over and community. Again and in community right right segue isn't it sally for us yeah right on time (laughs) to to join yeah uh and just you know i just love to hear what what people's questions are for sally or our thoughts or comments that you have you know we just really would like to feel all of you as well and under
1: Yeah. So for anybody who wants to, has a thought that just popped into their head, you can, um, just raise your hand. And, um, if you prefer the chat, you can just type your thoughts into, into the chat. Some people have a preference there. So we'd love to open it up to discussion now. Um, and interaction, if anything that we're talking about tonight landed with you, Had you, if you felt any sort of resonance with uh, anything that was talked about tonight?
0: Or didn't agree? (laughs) Have have another viewpoint?
1: Yeah. Or had a dissonance.
4: (laughs) Hi. um, I. um... Hey, Stacey. I'm, I'm I'm so sad. I'm not quite ready to come, but I, to come study with this, you this weekend. But eventually, I will.
1: There'll be a time.
4: Yeah. I, I, and um, thank you for this for this evening. I I've been really interested, and I think as you were talking, I was thinking about the word cultivating chi.
5: Hmm.
4: Um. Because you know, I know when a lot of the practices to to feel the flows and to and to observe the flows and begin to see how the flows are. So there's this, this question that came up about, like, what does it mean to cultivate chi? Because it's already there as you're speaking about. And also the sort of the balance between um, sort of watching the chi flow and I don't know your your own participation with it which, as observer versus know
1: practitioner kind of thing you know yes it's paradoxical isn't it i mean that the instruction is both to observe with a neutral mind and also be the active uh, practitioner of whatever it is that you're doing simultaneously so yes i mean Taoism is full of paradox we're very complicated beings (laughs) (laughs) we are more than one thing at, at once you know, all, we have all of the emotions available to us simultaneously. We don't necessarily experience it just one at a time, you know. And so physically we can feel, you know, obstructed in one area and fluid in another area. And spiritually we can feel the same thing. So if we can hold a non-judgmental, non-self-critical mind, you can see things more clearly as they are. and. With this ability, and it takes reps, it takes experience and maturity to be able to develop the um, ability to stay in the discomfort zone and to still have a non-judgmental, non-self-critical mind. And this is a great compassion exercise that we do for ourselves. And if we can do this for ourselves, we are much safer people to be with. It's much safer for other people to be around us if we have this practice within ourselves. So if we're practicing less self-criticism, we're apt to be able to emanate that in our other relationships. And this is very helpful. It's very helpful. So we are, we, we have habits of um, we have some habits of flow and we have other habits of inhibition. And some of our inhibitory habits, even physically, maybe I have an inhibition in my shoulder, right? This inhibits my, my neck. I have chronic migraines or chronic neck ache. I bet there's more than one person who has a chronic neck ache on this call, right? Nor has had experience with that before, right? So even just like being able to disinhibit this chronic tension physically, when we start to let go of that, you find some other flow internally letting go as well. You know, when we hold on to strongly onto an opinion or a posture or a position, we can um, be blind to other dimensions of ourselves and of others. And so, when we have an example of this in the physical realm, it's um, it has a chain reaction effect to the other realms of your experience—mental, emotional, spiritual.
4: And can you, um, what what is meant by what do you mean by cultivating qi? Mm.
1: Yes, I guess that's a pretty Taoist term. cultivation is the, the word that we tend to use. Um, the dantian, maybe some of you are familiar, maybe some are unfamiliar with this word, but dantian is the field of cultivation. And um, in Chinese, it, it just looks like a, like a field with a cross in it. It's like, you can think of it as a, an agrarian, a farm, a field where you're going to grow something and you have to, it's not just a, the seed that you're planting in the soil and watering it every day, but it's the soil itself that needs cultivating as well. So whatever field that you got, whatever body that you got, whatever childhood conditions that you got, you didn't necessarily choose them, but whatever you got is your field of cultivation. So whatever obstructions, irrigations, you know, weeding that you have to do to Encourage the health of your soil, the body. Your, this is your field of cultivation your entire life. You will determine the quality of what will grow. Because really, like in your DNA, you have so many options of what you could cultivate and grow. You could have become a teacher. You could have become a lawyer. You could have, you know, you could have had children. You could have not had children. You, you have many, many choices in life. Um, so the blueprint is that you have many blueprints out there, but what you choose to grow and the quality of what is grown depends on the soil and how you attend to those goals. So this is a part of our cultivation. And in Chinese, we, you know, we really think like super long term. We don't think about it just like the, you know, tomorrow or, you know, the next 20 years, or, you know, just our children. We're thinking about generations and generations, and we're also thinking about our ancestors quite a bit. So, you know, in terms of what we're cultivating, we're we're thinking like 100 years. So that's that's also part of what we feel we're responsible for. It's not just our individual life. Um, Confucian... Um, traditions are very communal and they can, they can be criticized. Some of those criticisms are very valid, you know, it can be overdone, overwrought uh, in terms of quashing the individual needs and expressions, but there's a lot of function to Confucian values because of the communalness of it that you do think much more than just the individual, and much more than just this lifetime. So, I hope I answered your question about cultivation. Well,
4: yeah, very much so. Thank
1: you. Yeah. Both, both cases. So, legacy. You know, like you're, the farm that you're going to hand down to your kid, or just you know your chosen family, the young people in your life. It's like, what is going to be? What's going to be your legacy? You know, Laura, it's like you're you're involved in a lineage not just of your ancestry. That exists too. But now your lineage also includes your, your spiritual lineage. You know, what is, what is your legacy? What's the legacy of Brooklyn Zen Center going to be? You know, to be determined. You know, but that's a, I know that that's, a, that's an active question in your mind all the time, right? And you're creating it every single day, every moment, every person, every interaction. What is Zen's what is Zen's thought about cultivation? And is there similar terminology that you would use? You
0: no, know, we're full of paradoxes as well. So <laughs> um, which is always to try to offset the tendency to just um, harden into one side of a reality versus both, you know, and, and also to help a student's, you know, not get caught somewhere. And and then um, hold on to that and miss the other side of every experience, right? So we have you know this famous Dogen saying, "Practice realization." And so there's this understanding that um, in some senses we have to let go of the whole idea of cultivation. Hmm. You know that that idea of cultivation can set us up as to believing that we're not whole and complete just as we are, or Believing that our Buddha nature, our our, um, wholeness, or our enlightenment is somewhere else other than where we are right now. So we've got that side of it that we speak of all the time. And then we have the practice side, which is you actually have to cultivate the capacity to recognize that truth. That that truth is, is, is right here, but we miss it. And and we actually have to sit and we have to practice and we have to be um, uh, engaged in community and we have to be we have to be able to be mirrored and see all of those things that you've been speaking about. The, is this our inheritance. And that um, and that eventually, which is so beautiful what you were talking about, which is the multi-generational piece, you know, and I think particularly for many of us who, who grow up in an American culture, you know, which is just like you say, very now very individualistic that the, that the practice um, that's been given to us by our ancestors, you know, and I can hear, I can hear the, the similarities of our ancestors voices in our different lineages uh, coming out is that um, we eventually realize, you know that, that nothing we do or nothing we are and nothing we become is of our own um, individual effort. that it's always a That's result right. of, of innumerable forces that are supporting our life at this moment. And then right. then the monarch blooms <laughs> and we realize all we want to do is, is ingratitude. Um, support that cultivation of life um, by whatever efforts we make, <clears throat> so.
1: Yeah, so it's both at once, right? It's like you're, you're thinking of cultivation and many generations and at the same time, you just have to be in this moment, right? So how do you, how are you able to do both at once? Because both are true. So in a way, it's like the, the relative and the absolute. Right. And in the Tao Te Ching, you know, the first chapter is like the, the, the true Tao, um, cannot be named, naming it is not the true Tao. So then if you only lived in the first chapter as a human being, like, what do you do? You just like give up, you just stop speaking, you stop writing, you stop learning, you stop reading, you're just like, well, that's not true. So. I'm not going to read the newspaper. It's like, that's not true. I'm not going to listen to what they're saying. I mean, you could really like go off the deep end with chapter one, but you then you're ignoring all the, the rest of the 80 chapters that follow chapter one. Right, that talk about, you know, not just these principles, but then also about relationship, how you behave in society, how you are a leader, how you are a contributor, like how all of those things are discussed, so holding yeah, that I, paragraphs, yeah go ahead you no
0: know, i was just thinking you know how you ring the bells you know that that it is in a, in this activity that we discover all of this right or in doing those forms, you know and i i have this desire to like want you to unpack why this form goes to this form and what's the and, and, you know, I, and I know your response would be like, we would say, just come sit, you know, just come practice and you'll see. They'll be revealed to you in the doing of them,
2: you yeah. know,
0: in the talking about them. So,
1: yeah, we're, we're we don't uh, tend to be very patient um, about, <laughs> we want the answer now. But, um, you know, we often, the, the answer that we want is often on the conceptual level, but to have it on a felt level. Mm -hmm. Um, you must invest in the embodied act over and
0: over and over and over and
1: over yeah and so there's there's also this paradox too of like what's over practice and how do you maintain your spontaneity while practicing a lot right so it's like even in in martial arts you, you know you have people who are experts in that form they can perform that tai chi uh, choreography, uh, to a a beautiful level, but maybe you can sense that there's no heart in it. Maybe that you don't feel like there's any artistry in it, but they did it technically correct. And they've done it 1 million times. You know, Malcolm Gladwell would be very proud of them, but then it's like, do they, are they able to really use it as a tool of expression? You know, are they able to be spontaneously like through the form, are they able to express their spontaneous self in that moment? You know, and and I think Zen gets this reputation to look, you know, walk into the Zendo, everybody looks very, you know, all the same, very stiff and sitting in the same place, not moving. Like, what's going on there? What's going on there, Laura? (laughs) What's going on there?
0: Uh, Somebody else, tell us what's going on there. What's that? (laughs) From your position. What's going on?
1: (laughs) Does anybody else have any other comments or questions or anything that they want to share about their own experience? Because I think there are a lot of practitioners on
5: this call.
0: Claire?
5: Hi. um, Yeah, it's funny. I wouldn't normally... I'm I'm not... I'm not very... uh, practiced, I haven't been practicing Zen that long. Um, But regarding the kind of um, energies that you've been talking about, Sally, and the repetition of practice, um, I just had an interesting experience this morning of just watching uh, one kind of emotional energy transform itself into another. Um, anger transforming into compassion. And I'm sure it could go the other way too, depending on the day or what was happening to me. Um, But I would have missed that if I wasn't sitting. I think these things go on in me, but I wouldn't know without the practice. And is it worth paying attention to? Well, it certainly was today. I mean, it changed everything that I did today and how I behaved and Mm. how I treated people. Sent out a couple of apologies today.
1: It is a powerful skill to apologize. Mm. Mm. Thanks for sharing that. This practical application is eminently practical. The esoteric is very interesting, important, but this practice is, is practice. It's, a, it, it's very um, in, in the world.
0: You know, the other piece, you know, uh, Claire, thank you so much for sharing that and your question, Sally, of what, what was the impact of the watching? What was important about being able to see that? You know, because you might have changed from anger to compassion without noticing, but there's something different in the witnessing I I have experienced, you know, we start to see the connections and the links around conditions, we see that things arise and that they fall away, you know, and maybe we don't, we're, we have a more relaxed relationship because we can understand we don't have to grab that or do anything with it, we can let it shift and change in that way that it does,
1: you know. Yeah, and trust that you have the ability to change.
0: Mm-hmm. Encouragement of that. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Melissa,
2: um, I have a both a I suppose a comment and a question that I'd love to get uh, both of your reactions to because it it's also apologies a little bit of a spoiler alert because for those coming this weekend in in the partner work one of the more interesting thing that always comes up and it's come up in, in the kind of mix of qigong and martial arts that i've done is this um, really fun insight into uh the way we all or at least i think we all have a have a tendency to um overreact to the contact point mm-hmm. so that when you you're putting your hand out next to someone else's or someone is grabbing you that the cognitive and in many senses, almost emotional, physical, embodied reaction mm-hmm. becomes all about that contact point. Yeah. And it's particularly elevated when your hand is at play because mm-hmm. we are super handsy people. And that's part of the whole young thing, and it's the way many of us learn. But one of the things that I've really enjoyed learning about is the way that it's not about the contact point and it's acknowledged it's there you can't ignore it but that in martial arts and practical martial arts it's it's a really not helpful thing <laughs> you you almost you give it away if you overreact to the contact point the other person if they're skillful
1: uh-huh,
4: uh-huh, uh-huh.
2: will Will actually, at the risk of being black and white, they they then can control the space, and they have an awareness of you that means they can easily make you irrelevant in some sense. But anyway, I was just curious, uh, you know, Laura. I know you know we've we've done the touch hands together as well, but just uh, I'd be curious about your reaction to to that issue.
0: You know, I was, I was so um, when you said it's not about the contact point, my mind just stopped for a minute. I'm like, what is it about? <laughs> <You know? laughs> because the contact point is so impactful. I mean, I, I have, I haven't done this maybe in four years. I haven't done it that often, but I still have a very visceral sense of what it felt like to be in that kind of intensity of contact, you know, when, when it's, it's, a, you know, I guess you'll see when you're calm, you know, that you're in this um, physical relational field of, of pushing forward and pulling back. And so anyway, um, then I realized, oh yes, it's, I don't know what the right answer is, but, but it's about that movement, the continuation, the, the, the coming and the going, the arising, the falling away and, and not getting stuck and staying fluid. Um, and I learned so much about my own psychology from that, um, from that particular five minute practice or 10 minute practice about, you know, for many of us. And again, I think it's a learn, I, again, I, I, translate a lot, um, psychologically. So that's just my bias, you know, that there is a habitual way in which we either, in terms of power, it feels like a power dynamic, it can feel like a power dynamic, it isn't ultimately. But um, I remember touching some folks hands where I couldn't feel the pressure.
4: Mm. And
0: how much that bothered me. I'm like, where are you? Mm. <laughs> you disappeared. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's, sometimes and it's like... I don't feel that pressure, I start leading, I'm pushing, you know, and I feel myself, where are you? Where are you? And now I have to take up extra energy or extra, you know, effort to make this flow, you know, to make the thing keep happening, you know, it's like, it's really kind of a, it's kind of a little painful, right, to not feel the, the other side. And then I can also, I can also know, and I know this in myself as a leader, you know, if I'm too passive, it's not helpful. And if, and and if I push too hard, you know, where I don't trust, and I'm not allowing, the per, the, meeting that person where they are and, and allowing them to be just as they are and, and working with that. So, um, you know, this is, this is my translation of it um, and it's um, quite beautiful. And it's, and it's almost like you have to get, let go of all your ideas about yourself and the other person and what, this, what, what your hands are doing and then something can shift, and we we know this, right? Where it's just it's just a flow of back and forth that's so lovely, you know. And then we can't get attached to that. <laughs> mm, that's right. <laughs> <shifts>. <laughs> They are too, but that's like a grace. That's a grace that's actually born out of the too much, too little, and the and the continued engagement in that, um, you know. And and uh, mm. yeah, so it's kind of like a little. Uh, a mini sangha experience. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. You need a relational experience in order to. It's like a laboratory, right? You you have one laboratory, your own body and experience, but then you you double that with another person, and then you have a community, and it's exponential. So, it's a it's a huge uh, acceleration of learning because it's put into practice like straight away. Um, and your patterns get um, identified straight away pre- pretty quickly. You know, most people do not have a neutral response when, when, when you're in contact with somebody, somebody you love, somebody who's a stranger, you know, just somebody you just met in the elevator, you just like happened to, you know, you know, it's like those, those things we, we are sensitive beings. We're very sensitive beings. And we don't, we don't, we have different levels of awareness and um, ability to control or refine our sensitivity. Um, But we are perceiving so much all the time, and we have patterns. So maybe somebody has, um, when they're when they're touched, they have, you know, a more leadership pattern, or they have a more aggressive pattern, or they have an opinionated pattern, or. The reverse. They're a listener. They're a receiver. They're gonna make the. They're gonna seed the space. But then it's like if you seed the space too much, like what you were saying, Laura. It's like where are you? Um, I can't feel you. You you're not being met. To put it like in a in a more uh, therapeutic language, you know, it's just like you're you're not being met. You know, and it's like as a partner, you know, even a practice partner in any form. The agreement is that you'll be met, right? You're going to have a, you're going to engage in conversation together, right? And that requires a little bit of risk, right? Potentially, potentially. We have a very gentle field.
0: (laughs) You know, Sally, when you said that, I just kind of made a connection around this initial question about compassion and strength,
2: Hmm.
0: which is this again, this beautiful image of the monarch and the heart, you know, is like um, the heart is very sensitive. It it has an ability to, I think, to uh, let us be in a more intimate relationship with what's happening. Uh And um, from that sensitivity and the ability to kind of be still with that sensitivity or responsive with it rather than reactive you know, there, there is an ability, I think, to um, bring forth whatever is the way to meet that most, you know, most gracefully, skillfully, compassionately, transformatively, you know, so this idea of, you know, you know, we often say like a soft front and a a strong back, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and both of those are necessary, but I think we believe we either have to be, you know, there's a softness there that that means um there is just a kind of accommodation of everything
1: yeah
0: versus a a a a gentle loving tender sensitive that that says okay right now maybe you need a little force you know yeah forward and be in contact you know
1: yeah and i think that you can i'm sorry go ahead i think that you can you can have softness and fluidity and not um, abandon your structure or your self connection. So it, when you're being met by some sort of condition or another kind of energy, if you're self connected, then the threat is less, right? So if you're, if you don't, if you're most loyal to your self connection, your connection with being a being belonging on this earth, you know, that is such a huge basis to stand upon, right? And then that, that frees up all this other energy to flow where you can find the appropriate response to the interaction, whether it's more structured or whether it's more soft, you know? You can find what's the appropriate, the skillful means in the moment that arises. And if you are grounded in the material of yourself,
0: just a few more
3: moments any any other thoughts or questions or comments Kristen hi hi both so much um so lovely and you know what I'm struck by is Sally what you were talking about and Laura um, you've spoken about too and and uh, is this my my translating of it is like growth growth happens outside the comfort zone um, and so, uh, you know, in therapeutic situation, I'm also a therapist and uh, people that say, have asked me, you know, well, like, well then what's the comfort zone for, um, if it's not for growth. And I, my response to that is comfort, it's for comfort <laughs> and, and which is important. It's really, really important. And I'm really challenged and in a really lovely way because I really resist partner work of all kinds physically. Like it's very, it makes me, it scares me in an mm-hmm. interesting way. I think there's a lot of conditioning behind that mm-hmm. um but what this sort of sets me up for tomorrow is just this hearing those words you know growth happens outside the comfort zone so you know being able to just have that sensitivity in my body in my mind and respecting that it's hard for me to do partner work
0: mm-hmm. and
3: um that that i can sort of just see that as um you know what you were talking about the cultivation of both a really fluid heart and an upright spine and, and engaging both of these together, um, you know, is necessary. And maybe I'm thinking about it as it's also necessary to enter into that discomforting place for growth Yeah, to be able to just soften the heart and keep the spine upright. And, um uh, that's sort of, I feel inspired to meet that discovery of the, uh, you know, I'm already like, Oh no, partner work. Ah! You know, and, um, Yet if I just sort of study that and notice that that is that practice with those at my edges, then it doesn't feel as scary. It it actually feels almost kind of exciting. Yeah, a little. My heart flutters a little bit. I'm thinking.
1: Yeah, you're certainly not the only one. I think most people do, whether they're you know, you know, people who are like used to sparring or not. It's you know, it's like. You could have somebody who's like a very powerful, uh, you know, boxer, but you put them in the therapist chair, and they'll completely, completely fall apart or turn into like a rigid ice cube, right? So it's just like, you know, you're you could be a warrior in the uh, therapist chair, you know, and able to, you know, have a huge amount of courage and ability to hold the discomforts of the emotional and traumatic landscape. You know, but then, you know, somebody who has a little bit more experience in the physical realm might be just like, oh, this is fun when we're in contact, you know, it's like, of course, we're going to, you know, have this this more comfortable. This is my comfort, comfort zone, but your comfort zone is like, mm, well, I, uh, you know, I'm glad that you do that job. That's not my job, you know, that sort of thing, you know, so it does take a little courage, but that. Exactly, we, we as human beings, we learn through challenge. Without challenges, we would just uh, just fall into our own complacency.
0: So Sally, it's, uh, we just have three minutes and um, I didn't know if you had, most folks I think will be there tomorrow. Is there anything you wanna say in closing or in preparation for tomorrow or?
1: Mm, well, I just wanna say you're all already prepared. So <laughs> just relax, come as you are, um, You know, bring the things that you need water, a snack. Um, you know, I think we're gonna try to, you can wear shoes if you want to, but um, if, the, if the floors are smooth enough and clean enough, I, I, I encourage you to be in your bare feet so that you can feel the ground. It's not comfortable for everybody, so just uh, bring what you need. If you are going to wear shoes, bring shoes that are clean and also have a flat, flexible sole Uh, So, for example, not a running shoe where the heel is higher than the toes, right? Because then your balance will just be pitched forward, which is great for running, but not great for what we're doing tomorrow. Okay. Uh, What else do we need to cover, Laura? Comfortable
0: clothing. Do you want to say something about the
1: thing? Yeah. Just clothing that you can feel like you can move around in comfortably, layers so that you don't get too cold or too hot. Um, We will have a lunch break. Um, yeah. Okay. And, uh, we're, we're not, uh, we're not here to be perfectionists. We're here to have some, discover something new about yourself and about this practice and working with each other and making new friends. Mm-hmm. So just bring, a you know, a just curiosity and, uh, lightness with you as well.
0: Thank you, Sally. Thank you, my dear friend, speaking. Thank again. you, my dear friend. <laughs> And I really look forward to seeing everybody tomorrow and um, we get to play together and um, discover something about ourselves and our, our bodies and um, being in relationship with each other's bodies. So I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you. And thank you again also for supporting Brooklyn Zen center, um, Uh, your, your your bodies and your hearts and your minds. So, um, and doing this with us and for us
1: so i just deep gratitude thank you everybody thanks thanks for showing up tonight and bringing your full selves and thanks for the opportunity and thanks luke for holding the technical space and we'll see you tomorrow
0: good night good night
1: good night everybody